0: Welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Hey Ben, how you been doing the past uh few seconds?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay, man. Sheltered in place. How about you?
2: I'm doing well, so uh yeah, you know one thing I'm definitely missing this uh time of the year is baseball, and it's it's just sad that it seems like even when it comes back, it probably won't have fans in attendance. Have you heard much about that? This is news to me. okay. So what they're talking about so far is like basically they we'll play 100 games uh without fans and they're going to realign the divisions uh for this year so that people don't have to travel much and stuff like that uh and uh you know that's interesting cuz like baseball fans they they don't do well with change do they
1: <laughs> Baseball is 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 yeah it's not about change
2: No <laughs> so uh, you know, baseball has regulative rules, uh, rules that have been passed down for uh, ages that kind of determine how we they do their uh, services of sorts. And uh, they also have uh, that, uh, and you know, when anything, even as little as this, uh, shakes it up, people tend to get pretty upset. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about a different kind of regulative Idea, a different kind of determining of something from the past upon how we do things now. That you know, yeah, that might have been the weakest segue that we've ever done, but uh, we'll we'll take it, I guess. So, well, <laughs> so we're going to be talking about liturgies of sorts. Um, and Ben, what is liturgy?
1: Well, it sounds like a fancy word, and for some folks. It's like, well, that's a very you know high church thing, but every church has a liturgy. Um, it's sort of your way of uh, ordering things. Um, and so even the lowest church of churches has a liturgy. It may be make some announcements and have a time of greeting and then sing three songs and you know have the sermon um, or it may involve you know smoke and incense and you know the rest. Um, but yeah, it's just how you you order things.
2: Yeah. So, what is the liturgy then of your children's ministry?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say it's entirely always the same, but on Sundays, you know, the children participate in our singing as a church, and then uh, they're dismissed if if they would like, if they fit in the age category, and they would go up. Um, If I'm the one who's teaching, which I, I don't every week, but I try to begin that time with prayer, and we do the Bible lesson. And then sometimes if, depending on, there's one leader who is more musically gifted who will help us do some more singing. Um, But I try to pepper prayer throughout. And um, then we have some activities and some games. But those are the common elements. Um, Wednesday nights, um, you know, there's more games and it's just, it looks different than how Sunday does. So how about like for your youth group? I assume you have kind of a set way that you do things.
2: Yeah, we definitely do. So um, we start off almost every youth ministry uh, thing with congregational music uh, with instruments. So we uh, might be rejected and they'll kind of come up and uh, John Calvin might not be thrilled with our liturgy of our youth ministry. <laughs> and and him. Exactly. Sometimes it's him. So. And then after that we kind of have announcements. Uh, so you know it might be That we uh, we're doing Jackbox games soon, actually, uh, which is like an online like game night type thing. Uh, And then we do uh, like games. Well, you know, whatever game we do, you know, if it's nice outside, we'll play a game called Gaga Ball because we have a Gaga Pit. Uh, And then after that, we have snacks uh, and snacks so that we can have a uh, so that they're munching on something during the lesson. Uh, And then we kind of split into the senior high. We do like a sermonette with them. Uh, and then the uh the junior high does more like a question and answer study. Uh so that's kind of our liturgy of our Wednesday night youth group. On Sunday school's a little different. We just uh, Sunday school we just kinda ask how their day is and then we spend a lot of time in question and answer Bible study. So it's very, very heavy. I mean both of them the majority of the time is in the word of God though.
1: So. Yeah, and that that is one element that I'd centered, even in the games that we do. But
2: yeah that's good so well, Ben, what is the regular principle, what on earth does this have to do with what we're
1: talking about? Well, it's essentially that the Bible instructs us or regulates what we do in the public gathered worship of the church, and so if it's not in the Bible uh, by command, some would say by inference um then the idea is that we should not do it and so um we'll we'll dig into. How that affects us, I guess, in a few minutes. But, I mean, would you add anything to that definition?
2: Yeah. So I think in a lot of ways, too, it was I mean, the apostolic church was always core to what uh, the original regular principle was. And it kind of was a statement that the apostolic church, the church that was in the book of Acts, founded by the apostles, was the church in its proper essence. One of the things, though, that was often about early on, it was originally largely but not exclusively about music and about whether or not you can use instrument in the services. I think that's often misinterpreted and uh, just kind of used as a stereotype sometimes, though, in the Reformed church history, though. Uh, but there's a ton of internal debate now, and uh, most, most that claim to hold the regular principles would use instruments in music uh, and would not sing hymns and would uh, exclusively, most of those who hold the regular principle, have a, have a variety on it. So there's disagreement within. Uh, but I think at its essence it's the idea that God determines how he gets to be worshipped. And so it impacts not just the forms, though, of it, but the substance. So, you know, it would not just say that we only do these things in our worship service, but it says that, you know, the Bible determines what the content of our music is and what the content of our preaching is, for example.
1: Yeah, so I had a professor in seminary who grew up in a a different denomination that was. Many elements of it were unfaithful, and uh, he said their pastor would preach out of Reader's Digest. So I guess that would be an example of not following the regulative principle. It
2: would definitely be. On the flip side of that, what is the normative principle, Ben?
1: Um, it's that what the Bible doesn't directly prohibit, we are free to do. So um, the Bible doesn't say anything about I don't know puppets or interpretive dance or these whatever um, the Bible doesn't specifically say we can't do that. And so if we think it would be edifying to people, then we can incorporate those elements into it. That's good. So uh, yeah. So,
2: and I think back to the apostolic church with that though, this kind of sees the apostolic church was just one form of right expression of God's church. Um, and I think in practice, this is often very close uh, unless you're paying attention to, pretty precisely. Uh, a church that follows a normative principle versus a church that follows a regular principle like just in terms of its order of service is going to be pretty similar more often than not uh, but I think if you really pay attention the, the differences are, are, are really significant. Mm. But is this just all uh, some ivory tower theology semantics or is this relevant to Christians today, even families today, which we'll talk about later?
1: I think it does matter. It matters what we do when we gather together to worship the Lord and to encourage one another. Um, You know, it has to do with how our consciences are shaped, um, how we're directed to, our attention is directed to the Lord or away from the Lord. And it helps us to obey him and love others as we're paying attention to his word. And so, uh, yeah, it matters when I mean it matters beyond every Sunday, but you know, Sundays when we can gather and we're doing the public worship of the church, then you know, we've gotta ask, are we obeying what God has said?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you know, I actually it's interesting because the question about whether or not this is just some semantics. I don't think this ever really was just semantics in the first place. Uh and It's Calvin, John Calvin is. A lot of people dislike John Calvin, and he's presented as some kind of arrogant nerd, and he definitely was a smart guy and a bit nerdy, I'm sure, at times, but I mean, Calvin was uh, deeply humble. Calvin was dedicated to missions work, and a lot of his concerns, even on these principles, was out of a pastoral heart to care for the people. Uh, We will see, though, that. uh, I mean, God has killed—we'll see uh, when, as we look at the Bible, and we're going to look at the Bible next. I mean, God killed people over this kind of thing in the Bible. Uh, and so if God killed people over this kind of thing in the Bible, this has to be important. Uh, and I think the reason why, though, is because the real issue here is who is the authority in our worship? And does God know best how he is to be worshiped? Uh, and so, in some ways, this is kind of like it's almost like First Corinthians type issues. This is a worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom type issue.
1: Those are some good points, yeah, about the seriousness of it, particularly under the old covenant and and what some things that happen. People, you know, with unauthorized fire, that stuff. Y- yeah, you alluded to the stuff with um, with the Reformation, and it was about worshiping the lord and it's back to the scriptures because the reformers saw that many elements had been added into the worship of god that were foreign to the bible and so you know who are we to add these things in yeah
2: so we both alluded to some scriptures in this so clearly we have an answer to that uh but what does the bible say about the regular principle
1: Well, in the first sense, there's not an explicit text that says, you know, thou shalt do these things and thou shalt only do these things. Um, It's kind of like with the Trinity, though. There's not a specific text, though there are texts that hint at it. Um, But 2 Timothy 4 talks about, uh, Timothy, commit yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to teaching and preaching. Um, Colossians 3 alludes to music, uh, music that teaches the gospel and it's to one another you're singing to one another as you do that um the practices of baptism and the lord's supper that jesus himself commanded um uh, corporate prayer i th- you can make that case that uh corporate prayer is to be uh your i had a couple of conversations yesterday with some friends who i disagree with um, at least to some degree on some of these things, but uh, with spiritual gifts, I mean, First Corinthians lays out some some instructions about if people have a word of exhortation or prophecy or you know interpretation, these kinds of things. Um, and I know some some churches that that still that practice those things. Um, they do it in an orderly fashion. Others, it's more like pandemonium. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, with the Psalms, there's a lot about worshiping the Lord and I know the stuff with the instruments and, uh, it it is interesting to me because you and I are not capital R reformed, you know, I mean, we we don't baptize our babies and things like this. And people in that camp tend to see a high degree of carryover from old covenant to new covenant. Um, but this is an area where they would... uh, least from what i understand do not see as much carryover and so you know But the, the use of instruments I, I think is is authorized and some of it you can't it, it's whether it's circumstantial to just how music is done in a culture um but i mean the sum of it it's it's very word centered and jesus centered in, in what uh, we're supposed to be doing
2: that's good so um yeah there's some other passages i kind of got to in it so uh actually i some people have, I think, rightly actually rooted this discussion into the, even the Ten Commandments. And Exodus uh, 20, 2-6 uh, through six talks about in that... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting inequities of the fathers and their children to the Third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And what's, I think, interesting there is like he's not condemning actually mainly uh, making idols of pretend gods, but instead, like he's actually con- condemning, uh, making a, a presentation, kind of your own form, your normative form of worship, where you want to worship God through, you know, through depicting an angel and bowing down from it. He condemns that harshly uh, and people even die for that kind of thing in the Bible because God's the one who determines how he worships. And and then you see the examples of people who do this like uh, you see Saul. Uh, Saul's con- condemned because he tries to do his own sacrifice to God mm-hmm. uh, that goes against what God prescribed and uh, and Samuel rebukes him out of God's instructions and he says, Lord, Lord as Great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, and that specifically meaning obeying the voice of the Lord in how he is to be worshiped. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Uh, And then I think the New Testament, Matthew 15 does kind of show Jesus is the same principles and he rebukes the Pharisees for kind of creating these traditions uh, that go beyond what scripture says that decide that they get to worship God how they like. Uh, But I think maybe the most powerful one is the strange fire in Leviticus, which we both refer to Leviticus 10, which again, it seems to be Nadav and Abihu seem to die for offering a sacrifice that for all our understanding of the text, it seems like that they were trying to do what they thought was an honorable and noble thing. Uh, but they offered a sacrifice that God did not ask for and
1: God killed them for it. Right. It's a, it's a very, uh, I don't know, terrifying passage. I mean, Fire comes down from the sky. Yeah.
2: Doesn't happen every day. I mean, if it does happen where you're at every day, that would really be fascinating.
1: Uh, that's not a normal part of our worship, thankfully. Okay.
2: So uh, what does the regular principle tell us about what we can and should offer young people during the worship service hour?
1: I suppose if you're really, really narrow on this, uh, then you don't because it's not there. Um, children are addressed directly in some of Paul's letters, um, thinking of Colossians and Ephesians children obey your parents. So there's the assumption that they were present though. I think that there is allowance that we can help our young people and shape their minds um, for what should be there. And um, even if we hold to the regulative principle or in some fashion that um, it's, there is allowance for the, the teaching, the passing on of God's truths and the gospel Um, particularly, I mean, an infant or something like that, they're, while they may come to see, okay, they're gathering, we do this every week. Um, they, you know, sometimes they just need a nap. And so there are no cribs typically in, in most churches, auditoriums, you know, these kinds of things. So I I think that there is allowance for it. Yeah. What do you, you've thought more deeply about this than me, so.
2: Well, and I think it's interesting. Uh, we've had Jason Laplous on the podcast before, and he's written a book, uh, "Let the Children Worship," and uh, the and I think. He causes, connect this to the regulative principle somewhat. And and he actually, I've heard in things where he does, you know, with like nursery, uh, the passages about this. And I've heard, uh, maybe it's other people, but the passages where kids are directly addressed. It's clearly he's not directly addressing and giving commands to an infant. Because an infant in no sense could understand those commands. Uh, so I'm not sure that that's as relevant to our discussion. But I think it is it is relevant to whether or not how we look to children's church. If we believe the regular principle, we have to make a, a stance. We have to decide what we're going to do with that. Because again, I mean, it's just true that the Apostolic Church had children in the worship service, uh, and and again, you know, there are there's a lot of factors you have to consider in, in this. But um, but I think regardless of where you stand on that, I think this means that the sermon and staples of the service from the Lord's Supper to, uh, to congregational prayer are not irrelevant to anyone because it's what God's given us. And so, you know, I there are people that uh, that ha- go to churches without children's programs that, that also feel like, you know, the sermon's irrelevant to a teen or a child or whatever. Uh, and regardless of where you stand on that kind of stuff, all of this is relevant to all of the people that God has created, because this is how God prescribes His worship. Uh, and I think this means also, then you know, it's easy for churches to have kind of like a teen Sunday, for example, or you a know, kids Sunday. You know, where like uh, I actually know, I've heard of a church that had a child that a child would preach every year, a child would preach every year for kids Sunday, and they would have like they controlled it themselves. Wow, you know uh, that, but this happens with teens more often. Uh, but I think we have to say that every Sunday is a kid's Sunday, or every Sunday is a teen's Sunday, because every Sunday, every worship service is for everyone. And I think also we have to make a family decision uh, about kids or parents participating in things beyond scripture then with that. So, uh, and that does mean, you know, you're going to have to make wisdom of, uh, the, so if you're, if you go to a church that, uh, I'm not going to command that if you go to a church that has dramas that you need to leave that church, for example, uh, it, but something that's beyond scripture, I think, Christian families have to make a decision whether or not they're violating their conscience, whether or not they're violating rightly worshiping God by participating in these kinds of things, or even having their kids cutely participating in these kinds
1: of things. No, that's true. They're relevant things. And it does seem like a foreign concept for a, a lot of people because we just don't often look to the bible we just think what tools do we have available what resources are out there oh i said there was this cool video or there was this thing so we're going to bring this in oh this would be funny and we're just not looking to god's word
2: yeah does the regulative principle tell us our kids programs can't have crafts or youth group can't have games uh that we're a bunch of hypocrites maybe
1: I think that uh, it's not regulating those specific areas of our ministry. Uh, I mean, you take Acts 6 and the feeding of the widows, and that was a legitimate thing. It was apostle endorsed in ministry, um, but it wasn't the public gathering. And so it wasn't that the widows were trotted up in front of the church and, and given this, or at least I don't, you don't get that impression. So the regulative principle doesn't address every single thing that we're doing. And so I, I, I don't think that um, it's directly uh, – yeah, like that you have to have a mini church, though I have read of a church that has in their children's worship area, whatever they call it, they it's it, they have it uh, structured like a mini church, and they have – it's a more liturgical well, – yeah, we say liturgy at the beginning, but it is a more high church kind of place, mm-hmm. and they have things where the children can touch and feel and um, – things like that because they are trying to prepare them for engaging with the rest of the body. And I appreciate Yeah. What are your thoughts?
2: No, this is some good point. I mean, it, it isn't really about this. I would agree with you that uh, the regular principle is not mainly about youth group. It's not mainly about, uh, that, uh, a children's Sunday school program. Uh, and I think we can see that from clear biblical principles, you know, um, that, uh, I mean, I think family worship is rooted in Scripture. I think it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. Uh, and commands of times is sitting down and, and going by the wayside uh, but god doesn't strike a family down a family unit down because they don't happen to you know i don't know uh, have a have a Korathite lead them and and singing and uh, and offer a lamb up in their own private temple in their house uh, when they're having family worship and so i think maybe there's some comparisons there i don't know how that would even happen but uh, the so but the point is you know I think these are good things of of worship to God, but this is not what the regular principle is concerned with. Uh, I don't think it's possible for next generation programs uh, to violate or obey the regular principle. You can't be against it or for it really in a way uh, because it's not for them. It's for something that is, dare me to say it, uh, be bold enough to say it more important than them. uh, That uh, It does prevent us, I think, from overstating their importance though. Uh, And I think that is, you know, if God did not ordain in scripture that we have Awanas on Wednesday nights, which Awanas is awesome, I think we can't command it and say it's like the most important thing for growing in Christ when God did not give it from on high when he established
1: his church in Acts. That's a good point. And, uh, you know, we've done an episode on Sunday school before and Sunday school is something that's relatively new, at least as we do it um, in the history of the church. But it's a beneficial thing. And so, I mean, we're fans, but the Bible doesn't tell us precisely, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us to use church buildings, but we found those to be useful. I think we have the freedom to do that. Um, So, I mean, the Bible doesn't say anything about sound systems or you know, heating and air or how we're supposed to sit or we're supposed to stand, um, all of that. And so there's areas where you, you have to take into consideration where you are culturally and, um, those kinds of things. So, uh, I think some of that enters in, especially when you're talking with age-graded stuff, especially with children, um, sometimes cultural expectations. I mean, I, I my in-laws know of uh, a missionary that he was somewhere overseas doing his thing and he was preaching, um, And it was, I don't know what country it was, but anyway, he heard this noise um, and he thought a baby was, you know, just having a good meal during the the church, during his preaching. And then as he finally looked around and he saw what it was, there was a woman there nursing a pig, you know, (laughs) and like that would just be like horrifying in, in our culture. But there it was just like, no, you know um so (laughs) you just have to take some of those things in consideration yeah that's good so um the
2: how do we introduce the regulative principle through these extra biblical ministries like children's sunday school or youth group
1: i think most generally you want it to be Word centered, even if you have games and you talked about having games and gaga pits and you know we, we play games and things. Um, but all you know the word is the main thing that you're there for. And um, often, almost always, not not every time, but we try to have the games that we play related back to the lesson or the memory verse that we're working on or something. And we do some things that not every single time, um, but we're trying to make teaching God's word the big thing.
2: That's a good point. So, uh,
1: I I think we
2: do definitely model it with limitations. Obviously, again, if you start offering the Lord's Supper during you know youth group or during a uh, kids like the, in the kids nursery, separate from the whole church doing it, there's a problem going on there. Uh, but uh, I think like for example, our youth ministry, like I try to intentionally almost make it like a model. Of of what the church should be, in some sense, you know, we do games. You know, I I don't think it's it's wrong for us to do games, and it and I think it helps settle kids down somewhat. Uh, But you know, we uh, we've incorporated singing, uh, incorporate uh, singing together corporately into our youth ministry that wasn't there as much. Do you only sing the psalms? Yeah, sometimes we've sung the psalms before. So, uh, not exclusively, though. Uh, but I think so that the teens can kind of gather that anticipation, a taste for what God's church is, the regular principles of God's church. Uh, but even, I think even like how I deliver, I've switched to, with senior highs, and not I'm not doing it this way via Zoom right now, uh, but when we're together, I'll often... More or less preach, and I think because it creates an anticipation and more of a, an acceptance of the means of preaching, uh, even though it's not the same thing as preaching in a worship service.
1: Do you <laughs> wear a tie when you do that? Just wondering. <laughs> I do not. Come on, man! You <laughs> know you gotta you gotta have a tie to preach.
2: I might wear like a uh, Spider-Man T-shirt
1: though. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. so it's it's just contextualization, right?
2: But I think likewise in these ministries, we should talk about it with our our students, with our kids, or with our teens, or whatever, uh, in a way that, frankly, I didn't do enough. Because uh, our we have a group that kind of dives deeper on Sunday nights with some teens called Beyond Expectations, and they they wanted to learn about denominations and why you know we are what we are and we aren't what we aren't. And we talked about Presbyterianism, and I talked about the regular principle and Calvin's focus on it. And they were just, and they were kind of surprised by this. This was like a new thing to them. The idea that the Bible would would determine what we can and can't have in a worship service. Uh, and I think that's my failure because I failed to teach them this enough in uh, the larger gatherings. That now they're just kind of shocked by this.
1: That's yeah. I certainly have not made it a point to to teach kids about that. Now I've I've made it a point to to emphasize God's Word uh, at every turn, uh, but not specifically about that. And and that is something that you know, like you said, the at the time of the Reformation, there was a big concern about the form of worship, and um, that's not something that we pay as much attention to these days. We just there's often a more freewheeling you know, highlighting creativity and stormtrooper dances and, you know, all the rest. Yeah. So
2: (laughs) that is true. You can get some at Christmas time, especially you get some out there things. So, (laughs) (laughs) but how does the regular principle impact how parents should talk with their kids about the service as well?
1: I think if you're getting your kids ready for it, just telling them that this is, the simple prefix. This is what God says we will do because hopefully your church is, is obeying that and not just bringing in whatever. Now, I, I think that um, there are many faithful churches out there that preach the gospel that are making disciples that take God's word seriously, who don't strictly adhere to the regulative principle. And I think they're, they're God honoring churches. Um, But I think just telling our kids, starting it off, um, hey, this is what God says we do. When we get together, we're supposed to sing, we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to listen to God's word, and then, you know, try to encourage others. And uh, just helping them just frame the conversation that way. But that's not something that I have, I know, you know, sat down and directly talked to my children about. Oh, that's good. What, I mean, what are you.
2: I would add. I think that's really, really helpful, and I don't have much to add uh, other than I think realize if it do- that when we disciple our kids when we talk about the service that uh, if it doesn't excite us if something's in the service and that that doesn't thrill us and we're bored by it uh, in the worship services we talk about it uh, but it's in the Bible the issue is not with our church what our church did but the issues in our own hearts and i think that is so relevant because i mean it's so easy to to feel like oh you know i just have to sit through this long boring sermon uh you know our or our kids might have that attitude uh, you know, we sometimes do as well. You know, I'd rather us have more, you know, skits about, uh, you know, Santa Claus doing break dancing or something like that. Uh, but I think in that point out that the issue, if the scripture is clear on this, if we're following, if, if the church is following the regular principle, the issue that needs to be corrected is our own heart more often. we need to talk about how we correct our own hearts.
1: That's a really good point. I like that. I had not thought of it in those terms. But yeah, we've got, you know, I mean, probably everywhere you go, there's attractional churches really where there's not like persecution, there's attractional churches. And I mean, we've got one in our town that's very widely attended. And I mean, they have attractional things, you know, that, that, that younger people and adults may find amusing or entertaining. And I, I can see that, you know, kids becoming aware of that and going, well, oh, I can't we man, at the church down there, they're, you know, so-and-so was there. You could take pictures with them and, um, yeah, but it, it really is an issue of, of what we're worshipping and uh, the state of our hearts that's good.
2: You know, Ben, I, uh, I'm I a little worried that from this conversation the result is going to be that some someone's going to hear this and create for churches a, uh, a breakdancing Santa video to be used every Christmas time.
1: <laughs> and, and with Elf on the Shelf.
2: <laughs> Please don't do that, but if you do pay me something for it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, if you get <laughs> YouTube ad dollars.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, should the regular principle impact uh, young people's future church choice? And if so, how do we prepare them to make those decisions?
1: I think that it should impact. It's something, a grid that, that should be in place. Um, and it could, because it can probably indicate how seriously the church is taking God's word. But again, like I said a few minutes ago, there are healthy gospel preaching Bible-believing churches who don't strictly adhere to it. Who may have, say, a drama, or they, you know, some people would debate about it whether you can use a movie clip and things like this. Um, I think you can get pretty stiff and stodgy about this, but I think it should be something that they consider. Um. As far as how we prepare them, it just it's you know that we've taught them in church and as families that God gets to decide and it's I mean you can even relate it to the gospel that God gets to decide how we come to him. Um, that that is how we're relating to him in the, in the first most important way. Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth and life, no one comes to the Father except through me and there, there's no other name. That, that by which we can be saved. And so we've got to just help them see God is God. And, uh, it, it relates to in a way how you understand who God is and his authority. And so, um, it's kind of a subset of that. So just, you know, you're teaching them. I, I don't, that's probably not a, the best, uh, answer there. What are your thoughts?
2: No, that's good. So I, I think it's important to help them with, because, I think by its nature, you know, obviously there are exceptions, but I think the nature of what a regulative church principle seeks to do uh, means that a a regulative church is a God-centered church because it thinks that God knows what's best for what we need, what we benefit from. And so I think that kind of God-centered church, that kind of church that understands that the wisdom of God is greater than the wisdom of man is super important. For our, our kids' future church choices as, as adults, uh, and and they need to know to look for these kind of things, uh, and uh, because I think that most young people think a church with skit uh, with skits is kind of the bee's knees. Uh, the best church is the one you know. I want just want to go to a church that has these cool offerings that are not directly mentioned in scripture. It's often the case that that happens.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, I I like that about how God-centered they are that that God. Knows best what we need. Yeah. So
2: how can we, how can what we emphasize in our kids and youth programs undermine the regular principle, Ben?
1: I think when it's more about the fun and the games and entertaining them, um, and those things clearly are not commanded to the church in the Bible. I mean, I don't think the Bible's anti fun, but when the church is, is gathering, it doesn't say anything about make sure that you, you know, maximal fun, funny skits or even just, I mean, some people have serious objections to humor in preaching. I don't, sh- I think it can be abused, certainly. But there are times even with the prophets in the Old Testament, I mean, that they make comments that are, um, could be interpreted that way, that it is um, a joke. But I think that uh, it, when that is the focus, or these things that are just stimulating and not really presenting God's truth. And, uh, pointing kids to the Lord that we've, we can see that we're beginning to undermine that and we're making it more about just, you know, gathering a crowd. Um, and it could send a pragmatic message that God really doesn't have a whole lot to say about what we're doing. We're just sort of kind of make it up as we go along, whatever, whatever might work.
2: Yeah. So one thing I would say, uh, and I'll admit from my own failure in this is, uh, I realized as I kind of even wrote this question that I failed in this question because uh, I, I recently we were teaching the teens about uh, we're going through Genesis 12 through 25. We're letting the Bible determine what we teach. And that way, of course, we decided to do that. But uh, uh, And Sodom and Gomorrah came up a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and I kind of like, I was nervous about the lesson and I was kind of like, there's part of me that's gut was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to, I just want to get this over with. Uh, and, uh, and so I had a shame about what God gave to us, what God prescribed that we should have for the church in his word as he inspired it. Uh, and I think we can't do that. We can't, be ashamed of what God includes of anything in Scripture, uh, but we need to see that all Scripture is deeply relevant. Now, how you teach it to you know, if you teach Judges the end of Judges to a kindergartner, uh, <laughs> in the same way that you would to a forty-year-old adult, I am deeply concerned. As I'm going to say, uh, but you know, you <laughs> Got still pictures teach it. and yeah, ugh, the end of Judges, yeah, that's intense. Uh, but I think so. I have seen so many youth Sundays or kids Sundays, for example, that often look so different from the regular worship, ordinary worship service, quote unquote. Uh, and, you know, and they, they emphasize, you know, the skits, they emphasize these extra added things. And I think that that reveals something that reveals that we feel like the ordinary means, the regular principle is not beneficial and relevant to young people. Uh, but I, and last, I'll add. You know, this is going to sound odd. I think we in youth ministry we can actually overvalue relationship uh, building. Which you know, this is not to say relationship building is vitally, vitally important. That is true. Uh, but uh, I think it's possible. You know, I've heard communicated that the most important thing is just kind of hanging out with people. Um, the most important thing you can do is is something other than teaching God's Word to people. Uh, but if we have any other mentality of what's most vital in any of our ministries, and it's not the Word of God, we need to, I think, get uh, the emphasis on the
1: right syllable there. So let me press you a little bit. So would you have, or just question you, would you uh, have like a skit for your youth group? or?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I mean, cause you play
1: games and have snacks and
2: yeah, no, I think that this is a discernment issue. Uh, and I probably wouldn't just because I, I think that I'm trying to make our Wednesdays somewhat of a, of a preview, you know, of, of what's to come like, you know, and prepping them. Uh, But, you know, we actually are doing a fundraiser uh, that uh, will have been done beforehand uh, so that people can raise money where they send in kind of a variety show skits and stuff like that uh, for our our summer mission trip. That's not being done on a Wednesday, but I wouldn't have a problem with a a church doing that. Uh, But we probably wouldn't, I don't think.
1: Okay. So, yeah, again, I think it is a matter of of wisdom and how you apply that and you know, you're already making allowances some ways, but again, it's what is your goal for that time? So, okay. Yeah. I get that. So
2: no good question though. Uh, How do we, uh, teach that this God centered idea that God determines how he is worshiped to young people?
1: Well, start with the old Testament and you you do see the God centeredness of God there. Um, think Exodus, um, God gives the, the Ten Commandments, Ten Words, and then after that gives a lot of instructions about how to build this tent for him to to make his presence known in um, and to live among his people and uh, as well as other things. And then in Leviticus, you get a whole lot about how the priests who stand between God and the people, uh, how they are to interact with sacrifices. And I mean, you know, I think anybody that's ever read Leviticus, you get through part of it. And you think, okay, this is not the most like devotionally edifying, you know, you're reading about festering sores and white hair or black hair coming out of a sore and mold. And, um, but you know, Jesus is one of his favorite verses came from there. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but just seeing God telling the people, this is how you are to approach me. And, you know, one of the, the first time I read the book of Leviticus the whole way through was in college, and it was because I had to. It was for an assignment. Um, but I, my takeaway was, "Wow, God is really holy," and I think that's part of the big thing we should take away. Um, you read the Psalms, and there's instructions about how to worship the Lord and and why to worship the Lord. And I think having the big picture, you know, regularly mentioned concept that God is God that you're talking about, uh, you know, church being God-centered, remind them that we are not God and that God is good and we are not. And he gets to determine things about our lives. And and that's a good thing for us. And and that just being something that's sort of foundational to what you're doing.
2: That's good. So you actually took a lot of thoughts I was going to have. But I think on top of that, uh, just to get the idea of how God is worshipped in the New Testament uh, by Christians, I think it's really important with young people to study the Book of Acts uh, and the Pastoral Epistles because I think that kind of sets the framework in us. Because we don't, you know, we don't offer us sacrifices today. We shouldn't. Uh, that I don't think your pets <laughs> would be thrilled with that. Uh, but, uh, we, I think, we can work through uh, in a far, far, far less important, but I think helpful way would be working through something like the London Baptist Confession at home, uh, which I think is a lot to say about this regulative principle and how we understand worship from a biblical perspective.
1: Okay. That's a tall order. Yeah. Get to it, guys. <laughs> 1689 tattooed on. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've heard of people doing that. hmm
2: now, how do families avoid legalism? Really, for lack of better term, because I don't think that's the best term here with this regular principle.
1: The thoughts that came to my mind with that is: don't be a pain. Don't be, you know, that guy um, being critical about something if you're convinced that the regular principle is uh, something that you infer from scripture is not following that like don't just always be and pointing it out um, and I think take the Bible more seriously and more you know is more authoritative than your inferences about exactly how it should look in every situation and don't be skeptical of others but sort of more be charitable about what maybe you know, other people at another church uh, that do things differently, Um, having a charitable view and a humble view rather than like, well, you know, we, we do it right here. And um, those, that's what comes to mind. Well, what do you think?
2: Yeah. So uh, my thoughts are very similar. I I say, first off, don't assume those without your interpretation of the regular principle are disregarding it. Uh, And I think an easy but silly example could be, I I'd like, dude. I know people that are strong in the regular principle that insist that you know, if you have announcements in your church service, like even at the beginning, like that you are violating the regular principle and in sin and have no desire to seek God's glory. And I, are I they think, preaching
1: Greek as well? <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't know, uh, but I I don't think that. And maybe you could make an argument that you shouldn't. Have uh, announcements, but I think, regardless, try to have that kind of charity and and realize that there are people that are grappling with this that are coming to different interpretations. Uh, And I think make your own decisions about not uh, participating in the extras, like I mentioned before. You know, even from the extras that are very popular, uh, beyond the cores of I mean, uh, scripture reading, uh, public prayer, reading uh, uh, Bible uh, sermons from scripture and congregational music. Anything beyond that, uh, which congregational music is music sung together uh, with the whole congregation. And, and I think you make your own personal decision as your family about whether you'll participate in anything that your church does beyond that. Uh, and try to do it based upon your clear conscience from study of scripture. But don't stir the pot in it, because there's really no benefit. Uh, you know. And if you just want to stir the pot in it, it's probably a good time to find a different church. Uh, in that rather than just cause chaos over something that really is not the gospel and probably would not be the most helpful thing to be done in that kind of way, unless you're in a position of clear biblical leadership.
1: Right. And you just got to check your motives. Um, yeah. It's not just about being right. Yeah. And I,
2: I do also think, like you mentioned, remember it's not the gospel and that there are other churches that have good motivations often. And, you know, and I think that. Uh, if, uh, you know, John Calvin, who loved this regular principle, if he was on a desert island uh, with like three other Christians and uh, the, it was an established church where they did not follow the regular principle, he would definitely have uh, some thoughts about that, but he would not feel like it's not a Christian church. Yeah, yeah, so. a good word. I'm glad you guys joined us even though the Bible does not command you to listen to the TFM podcast. Uh, and, uh, so Ben, are they violating that regular principle by listening in?
1: Uh, no, it's a normative thing, but we're glad they did. Amen. So, well, God bless.
0: And, uh, that, uh, we hope you all are encouraged through this discussion. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the theological family ministry podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.